Welcome to Trauma Runs the World. I'm your host, Sammy Tesfaye, and today we'll be digging deep into the immigrant experience from a psychological point of view. Oftentimes, public discussion of immigrants centers around whether we should keep them in the U.S. or how dangerous or useful they are to the economy. However, how often do we think about the individual people that are fleeing their homes, everything and everyone they know behind, to pursue a life in a foreign land? These individuals, like the rest of us, have struggles and conflicts that hurt them on the inside. But with little resources and or understanding of the trauma they endure in their journey to America and to acclimating to their surroundings, they suffer silently. On this episode, we will explore the unseen immigrant, what challenges they face, how those issues are reinforced, and finally, solutions that need to be implemented. But first, let's discuss the challenges that cause mental health issues for immigrants. For immigrants, Trauma manifests in three stages. The first is pre-immigration trauma. What happens before they migrate? Then the next one is the traumatic experiences in transit or what they experience as they're traveling to the place they're immigrating to. And the third stage is the continuing trauma they experience in trying to acclimate to the new place they're living in and also what they endure in just living there. But to start off with pre-migration trauma, refugees often experience a lot of trauma in their own country, which means like they are exposed to war or political oppression, which is oftentimes the reason they're seeking migration in the first place. When they're transferred into refugee centers, they also experience stressors like hunger and abuse And as a result, refugees are substantially at a high risk in the general population for a variety of specific psychiatric disorders. The uncertainty that they face when they're seeking asylum can add to these stressors. And this leads to them having up to 10 times the rate of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, as well as elevated rates of depression that make sense, especially when we're considering the level of trauma the refugees experienced and how they don't deal with them because there's more pressing issues in front of them, like surviving. As the hierarchy of needs supports that the emotional and and mental health needs can't be addressed before the physical. So they wait until they have their basic needs met, but all while that trauma is still existing and, and kind of eating away at these people from the inside. And once they're able to settle down, these elevated rates of PTSD, depression, manifest and they manifest even stronger because they weren't dealt with properly and then the the second stage is the traumatic experiences in transit so a lot of people in coming here it's not just they get on a plane and they're you know in america or europe they're having to sometimes go on uh, illegal transit methods so there will be people that will get paid by these immigrants to take them through the forests and other trails and also put them on ships to get them to the place they want to go to but the thing is that in these journeys they're extorted by these people that guide them through the journey and they're extorted for money other favors and on top of that people also oftentimes die in this process because it's so physically grueling having to walk miles in the forest and then having to go on a boat and then that's crammed and then there's disease and all of these things and so all of this trauma can create 
so many issues for refugees and immigrants, especially those that come in through this route. And then the third step in the creation of trauma for immigrants is the acclimation process and what they experience in living in a new place. So I'm going to be talking specifically about America just because I'm from there, but I'm sure this can apply to a lot of uh, white majority countries. We all know that, you know, there's a lot of prejudice and racism in America and, you know, we've gotten better throughout the years, but there's still a long way to go. And unfortunately for immigrants, when they come here, that's one of the things they have to deal with on top of a million other stressors. From being seen as invaders or aliens to not being told to speak their native language in the public, the berating and degrading of immigrant peoples is really prevalent. And the demonization of immigrants didn't come out of nowhere. The roots of anti-immigrant sentiments can be traced back to the 1970s, where groups like the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, and the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS, asserted a worldview in which non-citizens or immigrants had no real status, privileges, and in addition worked, these both of these uh, organizations worked to reinforce the negative association with immigrants to things like being dangerous or threatening to Americans in their jobs. In addition, language that refers to immigrants as invaders, uh, those that bring disease, drugs, crime, also stems from these anti-immigrant groups in the late 70s. And then furthermore, after that happened, conspiracy theories also became a huge way to continue these anti-immigrant sentiments. There is conspiracy theories about Muslims being terrorists or that Mexican immigrants are plotting to take over the southwestern part of the U.S. All of these create fear in the general public, and that results in prejudice that impacts how immigrants are viewed. This is important because immigrants often come from places where the concept of race does not exist. And even if it does, they're usually not the victims of the racial hierarchy because it's mostly a homogenous society. And they probably never had to think about their ethnicity as something that can define their entire identity and motivations in life in other people's perceptions, which makes the transition to the U.S., and other places that may have these kinds of sentiments about immigrants even more traumatizing and harsh. The stress that can lead from this can create another obstacle for immigrants because they feel rejected and othered in a society where they're supposed to be feeling at home. And this can lead to severe depression, anxiety, and in some cases, this just gets worse with a lack of treatment. Another source of trauma that immigrants experience in living in a new place is a language barrier. So when immigrants come to the country, speaking English is a hurdle that they have to overcome when they go to the grocery store, hospital, even pay their phone bill. The stress behind this, I like to think of it as like if you've ever taken a class, a foreign language class, it's it's easy to, you know, learn the vocabulary and, you know, memorize the verbs and their modifications but when you have to speak it to the teacher it creates so much stress and you're kind of having to think through all of the little intricacies that you learned in the classroom and have to apply it in the moment 
that usually results in like broken Spanish or French or whatever you're speaking and you know that you're not really speaking it to the full extent that it should be spoken to and how you want to express yourself there's always something missing but you kind of make make it happen and say what you need to say but that's a classroom environment so it's not that big of a deal but for immigrants that's how they have to deal with their everyday reality they have to express their thoughts in complete way and oftentimes it doesn't communicate their level of understanding their intelligence it's almost as if there's a literal barrier to them and their ability to connect with others. And from Dr. Foster's analysis on uh, immigration and the trauma that results from it, this idea is reaffirmed. She writes, The thought of appearing passive, inarticulate, simple-minded, or unsophisticated in a second language, which one knows is not expressing the full complement of one's thoughts and feelings, is anxiety-provoking to many and depressing to others. Several investigators have noted that when speaking in their non-dominant language, bilinguals perceive themselves as less intelligent and self-confident. This is so heartbreaking for me because I have a personal experience with my parents when they came over. They had a really hard time adjusting to the language as they had spent the better half of their life in another country speaking another language. What infuriated me was that when we'd go to places like whether it was a restaurant, a bank, anywhere you know that required this communication... I would be there and I would translate for them a little bit, but then they would also speak alongside me as they could. And I don't know if this was something that was done on purpose, but what happened was that the people that we were talking to, the customer service, would reply to them in English, but in a condescending tone and like really slow. And it seemed like not only to make the English clearer, but almost like to talk to them as if they were children. And this reinforced the anxiety that my parents had when speaking in English and in the long term this causes trauma where people's self-image breaks down because in their own countries there were people that were respected viewed highly and then once they come here they're talked to like children and condescended everywhere they go that is a really really hard to hit to the self-esteem and self-image and this leads me to my next idea, which is the loss of identity. It starts with the language barrier, you know, where they lose their identity and the fact that, you know, they're not able to express themselves and be seen for their true level of intelligence and sophistication. But furthermore, it's in the jobs that they have to pursue. A lot of the times, they, uh, immigrants, at least in my case, my parents, had really prosperous lives back home. They had great jobs, received great money, but the only reason they immigrated was because they wanted to give better education to their children because the education system in Ethiopia is very bad. But in doing that, they had to take up minimum wage jobs here and get small or get small diplomas that also ended up in jobs that weren't to the level that they were at before. And this means that they lose a big part of their identity, which is their purpose. Purpose in the sense that what they, you know, what wakes them up every day, what they want to do in this world, that's taken away from them. And now they're working just for providing. And Dr. Foster again speaks to this by using examples. She writes, thus a former school teacher from Bosnia distributes leaflets for McDonald's. A Chinese mechanic delivers food on a bicycle while his family of six awaits him in a rented room. 
and the physician from Guatemala drives a cab in New York. As we can see for these immigrants, their former careers that were very respected are taken away from them. And they have to work jobs that are, I guess, quote unquote, beneath them. Not that there's anything wrong with these jobs, but they're viewed in society as less than. And that loss of identity is really traumatizing and creates a lot of self-esteem issues and kind of breaks down the confidence of immigrants. The next aspect of the trauma they experience in living in a new place is the not having the feeling of familiarity and belonging as they did in their native country. To start off this, there's a statistic that I thought was really interesting. Immigrant women are two to three times the risk of their Canadian-born counterparts for postpartum depression. Now, this is in Canada, of course, as the statistic says, but I think it speaks to a larger issue. And I think it's because it stems from a lack of belonging. To elaborate, I know that at home, at Ethiopia and many other countries, there's the idea that, you know, it's a, a village to, to raise children. And truly, a village is there to raise children from the beginning um, because the community comes together to take care of new mothers, to help them in adjusting to a, a new baby. But in America and in many Western countries, there's very individualistic culture where, you know, there isn't really that support. Neighbors do not come together to take care of new mothers. They're kind of just left to themselves. You know, maybe a few people will come to check up on them, but after that, it's kind of they're on their own. And this really explains the postpartum depression because on top of all the other trauma they already have to deal with, they also are feeling very lonely. From Dr. Foster, we see that the loss of familiar social networks is especially hard on families and women who often find themselves isolated, forced to deal on their own with the multiple demands of life in a foreign environment. So this is not only true for mothers, but also a lot of immigrants, regardless of their, if they're mothers or not, feel very lonely. They have a hard time making time for themselves in between holding down multiple jobs and raising children. And on top of that, their language barrier and a lack of understanding of American culture makes it difficult to make friends at work. For instance, references to pop culture or idioms can make immigrants feel alienated and afraid to jump into conversations because they can't relate or really understand. Now, this is not saying that people shouldn't use like pop culture references or anything, but it's just trying to highlight what it's like from the immigrant perspective where like you're jumping into a new culture and you really don't know the intricacies of the language and things that are not just basic English to communicate. And that can create kind of a barrier to making relationships. Or even if they make friends, it's usually superficial because of the cultural barriers where neither party really feels understood by the other group. And then this is really also a harsh transition because as I mentioned in other places around the world, there's kind of a community mindset. And it's almost like communities in media and doesn't really need to be created. So when they come to America where people living on the same street will know will not know each other even if they've lived together for 20 years that kind of individualistic culture is really harsh to transition to and hard to understand for a lot of immigrants and a sense of belonging is so important to our to the feeling of home and a lot of times 
immigrants don't already feel at home again as i said because of the prejudice they experience but then furthermore even as they get acclimated while living here they also don't feel at home because of this issue of not feeling like they belong but belonging can also affect the children of immigrants like myself uh it's in this situation it's not really about a language barrier or a culture issue because children of immigrants integrate into american culture but there's a common struggle where in america i personally don't feel american because i'm heavily immersed in the values and traditions of my own ethiopian culture so i expected when i went back to ethiopia last summer to feel at home and i was really excited wow like this is going to be the place that I feel really settled into and this is just going to be my people but when I went back I saw that I also differed in the values and culture from the other people my other family in Ethiopia because America had influenced me I had grown it up up in America and that made me in some ways very different from the people that were just raised in Ethiopia after that trip I kind of felt really kind of sad because it was kind of like being lost on a little island where there was really nowhere in the world I realized that I could feel completely at home and I struggled with this idea for months but you know I came back and uh, to America and it soon faded because I reaffirmed to myself that this is just the identity I've been given this is the circumstances you know we are we're in and so it's just better to take it as a part of my individuality like rather than something that's so sad and something that's so you know depressing but really something that does just my individual um, story and journey and this is just DIY therapy probably not the best but it works on a budget but in general this is just to make the point that a lot of second generation first generation immigrants will struggle with this and it can add to the trauma of you know generations after the original immigrants that come here now that we've discussed the different ways trauma can manifest for immigrants let's discuss why the stigma behind mental health issues is the reason that a lot of immigrants will never get the help that they need so under the wide umbrella of stigma there's just really a lot of myths and misconceptions communities have and to start off with one the really famous one is that therapy is only for the clinically insane This is what my mother would tell me when I told her about the importance of therapy I learned from reading an article on mental health. I tried explaining that, you know, everyone has trauma they've experienced, weaknesses, blind spots, whether it's their coping methods or the way they communicate in their relationships. And I tried to kind of detail how it comes from dysfunction in their childhood and other things in their life that cultivated trauma. But when I explained that she would kind of get a glassy look in her eyes and seemed extremely disinterested in what I had to say. And then when I was done on my rent, she would say, they would probably just give you medications and make you go insane. And she would ask me, do you think I'm crazy? Why are you telling me this? And seeing that this was going to go nowhere, I would give up. However, this isn't to blame my mom. This is something that's really true for a lot of immigrants. Because the, the discussion of mental health in their communities is really like kind of black and white kind of thing. Where, you know, you're either healthy, you're not insane, you're perfectly good, or you're a raving lunatic. So there's only two options, and that makes people feel like if they go to therapy, then they're admitting they're a lunatic, and they know that they're not crazy. So 
it's really hard to get across the idea that there's many things in between the you know the two extremes on the spectrum um just like you know we get a cough is not the same thing as a cancer but both of the things are elements on our physical health that need to be addressed but they're different levels it still doesn't mean that we don't need to go to the doctor having that connection made between mental health and physical health is something that a lot of communities are still working on and furthermore this makes sense because in a lot of other developing countries people are just worried about trying to survive to the next day and get their basic needs met so they don't have time to you know to look inside of themselves and see what emotional problems they have and while a lot of immigrants survive trauma back home and in immigrating they also do so while suppressing their emotions using anger as a coping tool or becoming very bitter these things are coping methods that people see as just you know people's behaviors but really it's because those emotional problems are have not been dealt with and been ignored because there's just bigger issues at hand i often see this spectrum of people either just suppressing their emotions being really cold especially the men or just being quick to anger or you know when i said bitter i'm especially referring to you know there's some adults within the community that um, they're referred to as aunties within African communities, but they basically spend their entire time gossiping about other people and especially young girls. They will criticize about their body, how they look, what they're doing, just any way they could find to criticize others. And when I was growing up, I would always just be like, what is wrong with these people? But I've realized as I've grown up, this is them kind of trying to deal with the pain that they have inside. And that's just their way they're coping. Because truly, the criticisms that they bring up just come out of nowhere. They're not really well-founded or really necessary. So it has to come from like a personal insecurity or kind of brokenness they experience inside. Which is, again, as I detailed, with the amount of stressors and traumatic events immigrants experience, this is really not all that surprising. Additionally, stigma also comes from gender norms. So, you know, for women, there's the idea that they're very emotional and they're less likely to be believed when they express, or if they were even wanting to express, that they had serious issues with mental health. And at least in Ethiopia, women's mental health isn't really taken seriously because of misogynistic ideas. And then for men it's not really that much better in this situation because you know that there's the idea that mental health and emotions just don't exist for men and we know that this isn't true but a lot of men will grow up in cultures where they see you know crying as a weakness or any sort of show of emotion as weakness really and that's true even in western countries to an extent so this means that if they're not okay with even showing emotions they're not going to complain about their depression or, you know, explain anything about their mental struggles because that's not going to be seen as, as respectable for them. And this means that men stay silent about their issues. And again, this results in what I've seen as men becoming extremely quick to anger, on the edge, kind of, or just the opposite, which is just cold and distant because they're suppressing so much. Another way is, you know, distracting themselves through friends, social media, drinking. Those things can also be used to cope. 
I think also the third aspect of stigma is the gossip that's very prevalent in communities. Gossip is prevalent in almost every culture. But I think for immigrants, it's just a bigger deal because the community they're in is already so small. So if, if you know, one thing gets around to this community, to this small community, it's not like they can just go outside of it and find their own people because the only people they really feel understood by are in that small community of people that came from the same place that they did. And so they know that if they want to keep in this community and have a fun time in this community, they have to maintain an image to the outside that might not be true, but they still want to maintain a good image. So if they admit that they need help and they go to therapy, this means that their community will view them as crazy. So an individual could get over the stigma, but because they know the larger group has that stigma of mental health as something that's you know, shouldn't be discussed, shouldn't be addressed, they're not going to do it out of the fear for the gossip that would ensue, the, the things that would be said about them and their family. And they also worry that their family secrets that they, you know, want to keep within their own family private will be kind of exposed to the larger group. This can be very, very anxiety-inducing and something that a lot of people will never risk. Because, again, the communities are so small and they're, they're finding kind of a pocket of home, and they don't want to ruin that. So they'll just keep silent and deal with their trauma on their own, which again adds this idea of stigma. Lastly, religion also plays an important part in the stigma of mental health. There's the idea often that you can pray the trauma away. As a Christian, I fully believe faith is an essential part of maintaining mental health and can even heal some people. Um, however, it's not always necessary to get an exorcism to deal with mental health issues. Like if you get pneumonia, you don't need a miracle to save you. You just need to get antibiotics. And it's the same for mental health issues. There's levels of mental health that can be dealt with human interventions. And faith can support it, but it's not necessarily an excuse to not get help. And it can only help to use these medical tools in addition to faith if people want to do that. But a lot of the times, these religious leaders enforce the idea that for mental health, the only way to deal with it is through faith. And a lot of immigrants can struggle to ask for help because they feel that if they, you know, if they ask for help, they're admitting that their faith isn't good enough or that their relationship with God isn't strong enough. Ultimately, the issue lies in the fact that the trauma that immigrants experience affect generations to come. This leads us to the next chapter of this episode, the impact of immigrant trauma on youth. See, children don't understand their feelings or know how to deal with complex emotions because they didn't see their parents deal with them in a healthy way. Personally, I've experienced this many times, but one experience that stands out is when I got into a car crash. I came home, I was fine, because the car crash was with a pole and not really a human being. But after a few hours of kind of being nonchalant about the entire situation, I suddenly burst into tears as the shock registered. My parents' response was to forget about it. And in fact, they wouldn't let me feel out my emotions and just let out the trauma that I endured 
they went as far as to say that I was disappointing God because I wasn't even being grateful for being alive. In this situation, my parents had the best intentions, but it was through forgetting about it that they dealt with their trauma and harsh life. It was by maybe shaming themselves into being grateful for what God has given them that they got through their issues. But it doesn't change the fact that they're passing down the use of suppressing emotions or unhealthy coping methods to cope with trauma and giving me that advice unknowingly setting me up to also use those methods to deal with issues in my life thankfully by this point i had already known about the importance of letting emotions out uh, understood trauma and i dealt with the shock in the healthiest way i could but one thing it highlighted to me was that the coping methods of parents are going to be passed on to their children and in the case of immigrants if those coping methods are not healthy we're going to have generations of people that are not able to deal with their emotions the right way and are not able to get mental health help because of the beliefs that they that have been passed on to them from their parents additionally the impact on youth can be even more direct to refer to dr foster's analysis again she writes, a constant theme in the immigrant mental health literature has to do with the role of maternal anxiety and the mother's own psychological reaction to pre-migration stressors as a predictor of the mental state of the child. Children recently studied in the refugee camps of Croatia showed significantly more signs of distress if their mothers had difficulty coping with displacement. This shows us that children, they rely very directly on the emotional state of their parents to build their skills in dealing with emotions ultimately whether it's very directly as in this example or indirectly the impact on youth when it comes to, to the trauma of immigration is undeniable the issue with the current state of mental health and immigrants is that ultimately generations will create dysfunctional families with suppressed emotions or unhealthy coping me mechanisms and on top of that, if we think about the way that parents, immigrant parents, raise their children, when they have to deal with so much stress, anxiety, and often no help from community members because of the individualistic culture they live in, this means that they're not able to you know, devote as much emotional support to their kids or are quick to lash out on their kids or are just not able to raise their kids in the most healthy environment because they too themselves aren't healthy, but also their environment is making it hard to be healthy mentally. So this means that not only do children not know how to deal with you know, their anxiety and stress in a healthy way, but furthermore, they're seeing dysfunctional families in their upbringing. Those two things can create dysfunction in future generations. And although immigrant children have been known to succeed in school, Ultimately, for future families, they carry the dysfunction into relationships and are more prone to developing mental health issues as a result. Now for some solutions to the issues presented in today's podcast. One of the biggest ones is just more education and outreach to these communities. A lot of it is because there's not so much education and discussion in these communities about mental health. But it can't just be from you know, an American person or just a random doctor, it has to be from someone that is a leader in the community, a faith leader, cultural leaders. They have to be willing and able to educate their community about 
the importance of dealing with trauma, the reality of it, so that people can feel more comfortable in seeking for help and that this stigma can start to be broken down. Furthermore, healthcare providers need to be educated on how to give trauma-informed care to immigrants and their experiences. There's really a lack of understanding on the providers' parts because they're educated on how to deal with people in America or people with their own experiences they can relate to. But I think that we need to give more training that highlights the immigrant experience, what that's like, what issues and challenges come along with that, and how we can treat those people. And lastly, I believe that we need to create a better environment within our own country on how we perceive and treat immigrants. We have to understand that even though they don't speak the same language as as the majority of the country or English might be their second language, I think that it's really important to be careful in how you treat immigrants. Or is your tone condescending? Are you viewing them with the same respect that you would that you would give to any other member of your family? Having that kind of perspective that there's already such a feeling of loss of identity within immigrants, I think can help us better treat immigrants in a way that's dignifying and respectful. Thank you for listening to episode two of Trauma Runs the World. I hope that you've taken something away from this podcast and understood a different perspective of a community that maybe you're a part of, or if you are an immigrant. Hopefully you found some comfort, was able to relate to the topics we discussed today. For more information, you can read NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses report on the mental health of immigrant communities or the immigration trauma analysis by Dr. Foster, When Immigration Becomes Trauma. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you next time.